If you have your Bibles, turn those to the third chapter of the book of John. Verse 16. We have been in a series here at Grace, uh, walking through Advent. And if you're a guest with us, we're, we're glad that you're here for us as believers in Jesus. We trust that in the coming of Jesus, God provided for us a way to be with him. And we, as people who follow Jesus, who trust Jesus in this world, that we know that he's going to come again to, to take his people home, to, to be our king forever and ever. Uh, we look into John 3.16, a, a verse that you may or may not have associated with Christmas at some point in your life. And we see this very uh, thorough explanation of the love of God for us. I'm going to read that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved mercifully. God loves sacrificially and God loves completely. So if you're a note taker, not all of us are, but if you're a note taker, we kind of see the breakdown of this passage in this way. The first thing that we see is this is how God loves. The second thing that we see is this is how much God loves. And the third thing that we see is this is why God's love matters. One more time. This is how God loves. This is how much God loves. And this is why God's love matters. I asked the question this week on social media, what is the worst gift you've ever been given and to whom did you give it? I asked that question because even though I can answer that in a way, there is a great chance that there are people who are out there in this room and in this place called the internet that can answer it even better. Here are some of the examples that I was given. I have broken these down into four categories. Category one, I have entitled Oblivious. I bought a family member some pants that were way too big even though I had been given the size. Oblivious. Toys that make noises. Moms, dads, need we say more? Or that's ridiculous. Don't, if you are the person who buys my children toys that make noises, know that I judge you under my breath. I bought my girlfriend a Greek-English Bible dictionary. That's what happens when you're a pastor and you interact with people on social media. They want to show off. Category two, I call husband. Oblivious is category one. Husband is category two. I bought my wife a filing cabinet. <laughs> Earrings shaped like Christmas ornaments. Kitchen accessories. Vacuum cleaner. Category three I call husbands who are struggling. I bought my wife a burial plot. I bought my wife stock in Sonic because he said I spent way too much money there. So I may as well make some money off of it. I bought my wife last minute fake diamond earrings. Man, I did not even realize that her ears weren't pierced. That person is a member of our church. He also serves us faithfully as a deacon. Category four, I call husband who may be dead. I bought my wife a treadmill. But this is the worst. This guy came out of the gate hot. He said, easy. Spandex workout gear for my wife. 
a week after she delivered our second child 23 years ago. When she looked at me incredulously, a word I had to look up, I said, I'm just trying to help. I also need you to know that this man pastors a flock of people, and we have reported this to their leadership. We can give the worst gifts to the best people. And when we see this story of Christmas, we see that God gave the best gift to the worst people. Uh, For God so loved, what, what a phrase, that God would love the world so intensely, so immensely. I would imagine that in this room, there's a grand likelihood that you can quote this verse in King James English. King Jimmy just getting us through the day this Sunday. But when we break down these words that for God so loved, it's saying something to us that is intense and it is also functional. For God so loved. John 3.16 uses the word so. The word so is used to explain not the immensity of God's love. It actually reads best if you see this and say that this is how God loved the world. This is the way that God loved the world. It's not the way that most of us would use the word so. I have had conversations with some of our smaller kids in the room about things that they love. Some will tell me that they love tacos from Jack in the Box so much. That's a terrible thing to love. That is a tortilla chip with an American slice of cheese and meat toothpaste on it. Or the Christmas that I gave my grandmother a popcorn popper. This is how I loved my grandmother. I gave her a popcorn popper. This is how I loved my aunt at Christmas of 2009. I I gave her slippers I'd worn in a a sweepstakes. This is how I loved my neighbor by giving them a fruitcake. Can we just be the people who end the fruitcake? Let's just shut that down. The incarnation of Jesus, Jesus coming into this world, is the way that God loves it. And we struggle with this. We struggle with the idea that God would love us in that way because it doesn't always meet our immediate emotional needs. We believe that God does not love us because there was a breakup in our lives. We believe that God does not love us because we have an, Ill- an illness or a disease. We believe that God does not love us because we are going through a divorce. We believe that God does not love us because we are lonely. These are all symptoms of what we call the fall uh, that we look at in the book of Genesis. And in each of of these things, the fall and deconstruction of humanity, we have God coming to us in Jesus and saying, I'm going to remake and recreate everything. God so loved the world is a functional phrase. When we begin to look and evaluate what God has done and how God is doing it and how this world works, the primary way that we see God's love for us is in that he would send his son. But we do get this tone of how much God loves as we continue to read through this verse. This is how God loved the world that he would give his only son. This is how God loved the world, that in the provision of Jesus, he has shown us an immense care for us. You see this tone in the text that the creator becomes the created. In the 1600s, Lancelot Andrews was the 
bishop of the Anglican Church. Side note, how cool of a name is that? Can you imagine meeting Lancelot? Hey, I'm Chad. Hello, I'm Lancelot. That's just a winner all the time. And he says this. All of Jesus' life, we see this tension of his humanity and his divinity. You see both his divine nature and his human nature. At his birth, you see a cradle for a child and a star for the divine son. The shepherds honor the baby boy and the choir of angels celebrates the birth of God's son. In his life, you see him hungry, showing his human nature and yet still feeding 5,000 people, showing his divine abilities. At his death, he dies on a cross like any man yet opens up paradise as only the Son of God could. Why are both of these natures found in one person? Because our nature had sinned and therefore our humanity should suffer. That's the reason why the Savior was born as a human child. But even though our nature should, our nature could not bear the weight of sin. It's not bear the weight of God's wrath due because of sin. But the Son of God could, and thus He was born as the Son of God. It's not as if Jesus gave up His, his deity. He actually takes upon Himself the pains of humanity. The pains of loneliness, the pains of betrayal, the pains of... The pains of being in this world. Everything that every one of us walked through, he took upon himself. All of the things that are going to swirl through our hearts and minds over the next few days. As we meet together with family members and loved ones and friends. All of the things that we will see in stress and struggle because... Let's just be truthful. We put on a really good front for Christmas, but in actuality, some of the people that you will spend time with over the next 24 hours are hurting. 36, 48 hours are struggling with the fact that we live a very damaged life. This is how much God loves us that He would send His Son becoming like us. This is why God's love matters, and it does matter. God's love matters intensely. It matters significantly. God's love matters because God's love that he has offered to us in Jesus is what transforms us. Again, this is how God loved the world. That he would give his only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. God in Jesus has provided for us the opportunity to have life forever, to have eternity with him. D.A. Carson, theologian, also Canadian, eh, says this, God's love is to be admired not because the world is so big and includes so many people, but because the world that we live in is so bad. The world is condemned and broken. Jesus coming into the world brings salvation for those who would trust him. It also brings into the forefront the condemnation of those who do not trust Him. We will spend time with family members, and some of you may be the family member, who does not have a relationship with a holy God, and my prayer is over these next few days that you will see what God has offered you in the person of Jesus. 
John Calvin says this, By the term born again, he means not the amendment of a part, but the renewal of a whole. Nothing is in us that is not defective. In every human being, aside from Jesus, there is sin that has spoiled you at your core. Now, some people like to fuss and fight about Bible verses. When the Bible talks about condemnation, that's just being used as symbolic language. We look through the scriptures and we begin to see God talk about condemnation and separation. Mark chapter 9 verses 43 through 48 refer to separation from God as fiery agony. Revelation chapter 20 verse 15, we talk about a lake of fire. In 21 verse 8, a lake of burning fire and sulfur. Luke chapter 16, we see the concept of conscious torment. Matthew chapter 22, outer darkness. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, divine destruction. Revelation 14 verse 11, eternal duration. What is this symbolic of? A trip to Disney or a European vacation? God is communicating to us that being far from Him is a dangerous, deadly, hopeless situation. So when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the love of God made fully known to us so that we could be right with Him, so that the relationship that we have with Him could transform us and change us and make us new. And the newness that we're offered in Jesus would be something that overflows. The Savior... God's love matters because the Savior becomes sin. Jesus just wrapped up a conversation with Nicodemus when we get to John chapter 3 verse 16 where he talked about looking at a bronze serpent. We actually find that in the book of Numbers chapter 21. I'm going to read to you this account because you probably weren't expecting this for the Sunday before Christmas sermon. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea, the Israelites to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to the wilderness? For there's no food and there's no water and we loathe this worthless food. That's also contradictory, by the way. There's no food and we loathe the food that we've got. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said to him, Well, we've sinned. Well, duh. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and he set it on a pole. And if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So Jesus references this in John chapter 3 verse 15 when we hear him tell us this. Just in 14 and 15, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. That the God, that God would lift up the Son fully covered in all of our sin. I was at a camp one time. We were singing a Chris Tomlin song because that's what you do at camps in the mid-2000s. Just Chris Tomlin all the time. Sing with me. So we did. And we sang the song that said, uses this lyric, Jesus Messiah. We, we've used it in here. And there's a phrase in it, He became sin who knew no sin. 
An older gentleman walks up to me, really good conversation, and he told us how much he enjoyed camp and how much he liked the sermons and how much he liked the music. And if you've ever had a conversation where you anticipate the but, you know what's happening. He said, but you can't say that Jesus became sin. And I said, no, I can't. Because Paul already did. Jesus is referencing here that much like the sinful people who had been struck, all of that sin had been placed on him. All of that sin was placed on him to display two things. To display this is the effect of sin. And this is how God crushes it. Nicodemus, God loved a world that hated him like this. That he would cover me with sin. All of their sin. And he would let me die. The giving is that God would send his son. God sent himself on a mission to die. When we say that God loved the world, we are not saying what many of us say about our spouses. That we find something lovely about them. We are saying that God loved the world in this way. That he would give himself fully. Now, here's what happens in rooms like this. Because I know how church works on December 23rd. Lots of church people here. We have some old church heads in the room. You know who you are. I know who I am. Just church, church, church. Been doing it forever. I know that there are church heads because I am one. We grew up in church and we own a lot of t-shirts. Honestly, many of them that were poorly designed. And we as church people love to talk about Calvinism and Arminianism. And we love to talk about evangelicalism and the plight of evangelicalism. And we love to break down verses and we love to have a Bible study on top of another Bible study. And load ourselves up with lots of Bible information in the event that someone ever wants to spar with us. In the midst of all of that, I just want you to remember that God loves you. He doesn't love you because you can break down tulip or you can break down whatever the Armenian antithesis of that is. God doesn't love you because you have every verse in the Bible memorized, though that's how many of us function, as if God loves us because we've remembered stuff. If God loved you because you remembered stuff, He'd love the internet. It remembers everything. God loves you not because of all of that stuff. God loves you because He loves you. He loves you. I, I don't know how often we need to hear that God loves us. That the songs that we have our kids sing in Bible school, and then when they're little children, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. That's true. God loves you. And this is how he loved you in Jesus. And then there's the opposite of that. Some of us are saying there's no way that God loves me because I've done the dumbest stuff. We should start a club. I do dumb stuff daily. But this is what God says about his love later on through Paul. 
Love is patient and love is kind. Love does not envy and love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. Love isn't rude. Love does not insist its own way on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. He can't love me. Think about this in light of who Jesus is. Jesus as God's physical manifestation. His incarnate manifestation of love. Jesus is patient and Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy nor does he boast. Jesus is not arrogant. He's not rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. He trusts all things. He endures all things. Jesus never ends. So he can't love me because I cheated on my husband or wife. Jesus bears all things. He can't love me because I, I struggle with substance abuse and God could never love someone who abused the things that I abused. Jesus is patient. He can't love me because I had an abortion. Jesus endures all things. Jesus is patient. He is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not arrogant. He is not rude. He is not pushy. He is not irritable. He is not resentful. He bears all things, trusts all things, endures all things. In Jesus, God has loved you mercifully. God has loved you sacrificially. And God has loved you wholly. And our hope is that we would trust him. Not trust him in the not trust him in the way that many of us use the word believe, where we have information on top of information as we referenced earlier. But that we would trust that all God has done for us in Jesus fixes this brokenness inside of us. And that the hope that we have from now to forever is in nothing less than the shed blood of Jesus and His righteousness. None of us, no matter how much we know, none of us, no matter how much you know, no matter how much of this you've got memorized, no matter how much bad you've done, none of us are going to ever really mature as believers in Jesus unless you learn to roll around in God's love for you. To be covered by it. Immersed in it. Saturated by it. Are we immersing ourselves in that? Because God so loved the world that you could. I invite you to bow your heads with me this morning. And I would pray that we would consider what it means to expose ourselves to the warmth of God's love for us. The immensity of it, the intensity of it, the transformation that comes with it. If you are a believer in Jesus, who has done every Bible study that could be offered to you, I pray that you realize that those things, they, they are beneficial only when based in you grasping God's love. For those of us who don't have a relationship with Jesus, we invite you to that this morning. God invites you because He invites when we look into His Word, when we sing the truths of His salvation. And maybe you are 
wrestling right now with your own sins and your own struggles and your own hardships and you for whatever reason are are on that list of I can't believe that God would love me because I've done this. He did not ever base his love for you on your goodness or badness. It's always based on his son who he sent. So I would invite you to trust Jesus Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I've sinned against you. I want to be rescued by you. Because you love me in this way. God, you love me in this way that you would send your son for me. To rescue me from death and hell. And to give me life in this world. believe that the Lord speaks through His Word and He's speaking to many of us even now. And I pray that if you're here and you would may have questions about what it means to trust Jesus, what it means that you would express your need for Jesus, that you would follow up with myself, Jared, the person who you came with this morning, and realize how great God's love is for you. A love that changes everything. Lord, we thank you for today. If you have saved any among us this morning, I pray that you will give them the boldness to share that with me at the back of the room, with the person who they came here with, so that we can begin to help them think through what it means to bask in your love daily. We ask this in your powerful name, Lord Jesus.